We're back, baby. Two days of no World Cup felt like an absolute eternity. A week without my guy, Jonathan Acosta, felt like a month. It's over now. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. This is now episode four of the Spill the Cup podcast. I'm Edgar Trevero, once again alongside Jonathan Acosta. What's up? What's up? We're back in Gainesville, Florida this week, and we're into the quarterfinals. Believe it or not, this World Cup is almost over. We got pretty much just a few matches left. When the business end, when the business end of the tournament, this is where the games get good. The pretenders are out. The contenders are the ones that are remaining. These are the best soccer games. The first two matches begin today. The first one at 10 a.m. between France and Uruguay. That will kick off shortly. The second comes at 2 p.m. with Belgium and Brazil. That's going to be the best game of the quarterfinals. My mouth is already watering. On the other side, on Saturday, we've got Sweden and England at 10 a.m., followed by the host, Russia, still alive, taking on Croatia at 2 p.m. So before we get into the quarterfinal matches, let's recap what we saw in that round of 16. Jonathan, like I was telling you, I went 6 for 8 predicting in those round of 16 matches. I could have done a little bit better. The two games I missed, the first one being between France and Argentina. What did we see there in that one? Argentina looked like a very disjointed team. I had Argentina winning that game mostly more out of heart than with my head. I knew France were the better team. I thought just they were going to be able to put it together, maybe a moment of magic from Messi, but I at points in the game, it looked like Argentina just didn't know how to play with someone like Messi on their team. When you have a player like that, you got to pass him the ball and search him and let him create. But there are times when they just ignored him, and you can't do that. And Messi even came up with two assists in that game. Yeah. One, one late to Sergio Aguero. The first one was kind of a, a fluky goal that Mercado was able to pounce on. Mm -hmm. So Messi gave us a little bit of what we were looking for. But again, like you said, that Argentina side looked disjointed. Every time they came forward, so much space was just opening up for the Mbappe. The defense was terrible, slow, out of position, and... Like you, like you just mentioned, they had no answer for Kylian Mbappe, who, as of right now, is my choice for player of the tournament. Absolutely. The guy's been on a roll. What he's doing at such a, at such a young age is, is so impressive. The way he's been not only bagging goals and getting assists, but just putting in solid performances every single match for France. He's kind of like that game-breaker where, like, France don't, are having trouble like breaking down a defense. He's the one guy we're not run at you directly with pace. You saw a set up the penalty, takes the ball from inside his own half and just goes on a 60-yard run to where uh, uh, Marcos Rojo has to bring him down. I saw something that it was like 14 strides, and he was from one box into the other. That's that's ridiculous. Absolutely. We, we see those stats come up when we look at guys like LeBron James just sprint across. Or like Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo uh, with dunks, being able to dunk from like the free throw line and stuff. That's crazy. So with Argentina, it comes down disappointingly for them. But honestly, I, I felt... In that game, they almost masked how bad they are the entire tournament. They came up with three goals. I, I think the the scoreline didn't indicate how much better France was better than Argentina. The last goal that they scored, beautiful pass from Messi. And Aguero, I think he should have started from the beginning. Jorge Sampaoli probably had the worst World Cup of any ma uh, manager. Um, just never got the lineups right. You never knew what he was trying to do because no, Dybala didn't basically play at all this entire World Cup. And you leave minutes. Aguero and Iguain on the bench in a knockout stage game. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I, I genuinely don't know what he was thinking. And Sampaoli was at fault the entire tournament. But you see a lot of reports come out throughout the games saying that Messi, Mascherano, those guys were having say into the lineup choices. And like you said in that last game, they decided to leave Aguero and Iguain on the bench, go with Messi as a false nine. Supposedly, 
Messi was the one that confirmed that lineup before the game. I, I don't believe that because if that had been the case, he I don't think he would have put himself in a false nine role, which is a position he hasn't played since. Because he doesn't play for Argentina. They don't use the false nine. And Barca hasn't used a, a false nine ever since they bought Suarez. So he's putting himself in a knockout stage game in a World Cup in a position he hasn't played in years. I don't I don't think so. If if I was Sampaoli, I would play Messi outright where he has space and where he can't be marked by a block of defenders that can just take him out of the game, like what happened if you put him in the center of the of the field. The reason he's kind of had still been able to do well at Barcelona, he has space out on the right. Granted, he did really well in the false nine role when he played for Guardiola, but Messi's always been a, a natural winger almost. People forget that because he's so good with his passing. He's kind of the winger who can drift in and play as a number 10, but he's always been a winger. And Messi doesn't have space to do messy things. You see what happens. I think it's time to put to bed Argentina. They're out of the tournament. As much as we love to talk about guys like Messi, Ronaldo, they're out. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we've seen a lot of the big stars of the tournament have exited pretty early. Obviously, the Germans. You have Ronaldo, Messi, and James Rodriguez. Granted, he didn't play for Colombia, but those three guys all going home in the same round. You have Spain, star-studded team, shock upset in this round. I think it's crazy to see the... The big names, big teams that are already out at this point. When you look at the quarterfinal field, four teams out of the eight have won World Cups before, which means half of the field has never won a World Cup before. And three of the four teams that have are on one side of the bracket. So you know only one of them is going to come out of there. And just to touch back on France, I'm glad that they were able to hit their stride in that last game because they're going to need to reproduce a performance like that if they want to advance over Uruguay, even if Cavani doesn't play in that game. Even if Cavani doesn't play in Uruguay, their strength has always been their defense. France took advantage of a lackadaisical Argentina defense. This is a very different test for them. Uruguay Even, is a team that they're going to sit back. They're going to soak in some of that pressure. They're completely comfortable soaking in pressure. And Suarez, even without Cavani, Suarez is a guy that can hit you hard on the counterattack. And I'm thinking... If no Cavani, maybe they go to a 4-3-3, put some speed and creativity. Maybe Darascaeta, uh, Naintan Nandes played decently well for Uruguay recently. Um, Betancourt and Torreira have been looking good in the midfield as well. So there's still a team that can, once they get the ball back, if they're pressing France or even if they're absorbing, they go forward on the counterattack. They're going to be testing uh, Umtiti and Varane. Yeah, and they were really good against Portugal in that match as Especially Cavani. Especially the Cavani-Suarez partnership was really good. The problem I see for France maybe being is because they like to get Pavard and Lucas Hernandez up high. If Uruguay hit him on the counterattack out wide, which we've seen because Suarez and Cavani will both like peel out wide. We saw uh, that on the first goal where the long one-two send the ball out wide to Suarez and he swings it into Cavani. And Cavani was running in from a wide position. I think those... Those wide areas of the pitch are where Uruguay might find uh, success against France. I have France just edging Uruguay in that match. It's disappointing to see that the best little snippets of Suarez and Cavani together, we won't be able to see that again in this match. And I think the midfield battle is going to be what really decides it. That pivot between Kante and Pogba. Like you said, Betancourt, Torreira, it's going to put a lot of pressure on those guys to really get the ball up to Suarez, to get the ball moving to keep possession of the ball it's going to put a lot of pressure on those young kids with uruguay absorbing i just feel like suarez especially without cavani might end up being kind of isolated up there by himself and uruguay won't be able to get a lot of stuff going but we never know maybe uruguay 
maybe Tavares changes it up a bit with no coming. Maybe you're pressing a little bit higher, so you're not leaving Suarez as isolated, and you have a more of a fluid attack. So we'll see. But I think I think Mbappe is going to cause problems for because Casares has been playing on on that wing. He's lost a few steps and stuff like that. Mbappe is one of the fastest guys in the tournament, so. I think Mbappe's going to have another good game for France, and I think France takes it 2-1. After that, we saw Spain, Russia, the surprise of the round of 16, I think. Unbelievable how stagnant Spain kind of... They came out and they got a nice little lucky goal from Sergio Ramos. After that, the tiki-taka really wasn't working. Well, the thing is, it wasn't even the traditional tiki-taka we've seen from Spain. Before we've seen from Spain is, yes, they'll possess the ball to death, but there's always cutting-edge passes and stuff like that break the lines, get the ball in behind, throw it back to David Villa and stuff like that. I think that's something that they're missing, a guy like David Villa or Fernando Torres. Diego Costa, when you play with him, you got to give him service. There was no service. They were just passing the ball around the box, around the box until they lost it. No cutting edge in that How final many times third. did we see crosses into Diego Costa? Barely. How many times did we see a lofted ball over the top to try to get him to win it? Never. Maybe an incisive through ball, a moment of magic from Isco. Isco tried, but couldn't do it because Russia defended very well. But I think it was just more of Spain not changing. And that they said it They said it going into the tournament. It's like, we have our plan A, and that's just what we're going to do. There's no plan B. Well, we saw the lack of a plan B come back to hurt them. When they had the people to make plan B work, but they just refused to move from plan A, and it just made no sense. I think Fernando Hierro deserves some blame. I think... Spain's midfield deserves some blame. It was interesting to me that they never brought on or Thiago didn't start in place of Koke. Koke ends up missing a penalty anyways. I think Koke was very poor in that Koke game. Was very poor. Very poor. And game. I think Thiago would have been that one guy who can kind of pick out a pass and everything. And I don't know what happened. I thought they started to play a little bit better once they introduced some more pace up top in Iago Aspas and Rodrigo. That was an okay decision. But if you're starting the game with Diego Costa, which rightfully so, you got to let him do what he does best and give him some service. And they just didn't, never did that. Russia won't care. They no. won't care. No, they're they're feeling the host nation oh, vibes. They're they're, <laughs> they're happy. Golovin had another good game against Spain, and they can cause some problems for Russia as well. And I, was I mean, for Croatia, I was really surprised at how willing guys like Golovin, Kerisev, they were so willing to just put in the work that game. Mm -hmm. You saw Golovin. I saw him sliding into at least three or four tackles on Spanish players. And that and that's the benefit of being the host nation. You have that crowd with you. The crowd gives you that energy. We've seen the host nations and. And World Cups perform way better than they ever have in in other tournaments. England, the one time they won the World Cup was as a host nation. We saw in 2014, that Brazil team wasn't very good, but being the host nation, I think, was key in them beating Chile and then Colombia in those knockout stage games. We saw it in 2002, South Korea making the semifinal. Who would have thought that if it wasn't in a, a, them as the host country? So Russia's definitely... Definitely feeling it, and they have the goods to to beat Croatia. I, I like Croatia in that matchup, but if Russia is going to defend as well as they did against Spain and put in the hard work, maybe a moment of magic from Golovin or, Z or Zuba, whose hold-up play has been very good so far in this tournament, Russia could be dangerous. There's been plenty of good qualities from Russia, whether it's been their defense, their hard work, that those moments of quality up front in the final third. With Russia and Croatia, I agree with you in the sense that Russia might not suffer from that host pressure just because at this point they, they feel like they have nothing to lose they've just come off a huge upset against spain mind you both croatia and russia advanced on penalties but i think this game will really come down to which team can get just get out on, get out on the front foot 
Yeah, and yeah. we saw, well, even in the Croatia-Denmark game, Denmark had the goal right in the first minute. What does Croatia do? Come right back in, in the fourth minute, score with Mandzukic. And I think that, that'll be the same factor. I think Russia was able to beat a Spain team. Spain had a lot more talent, but Croatia's a lot more direct, or at least they can be. We saw at times against Denmark where they kind of fell into the same role of just passing the ball around, and Luka Modric kind of like being um, man-marked out, out of that game at times. But I just think the midfield duo of Rakitic and... Modric. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Kovacic because Kovacic can, is kind of like that guy who can make deep runs from that deep part of the midfield, run forward and attack you. And he has good good strength and speed. They've also got Perisic on that left wing who's put in some good performances. Always dangerous. Always That's the thing about Kovacic. They're willing to put in those passes to the box to feed their big guys like Mansukic. And I've also been a big fan of Rebic on that right-hand side. He's shown a lot of good flair and uh, technical ability. So I think those individual skill sets of the Croatians will be able to break down Russia. The exciting thing I think about this game is that in the in the round of 16 matches, you had Russia and Denmark that you knew in that game, they were, just, they were the team trying to sit back, mm-hmm. soak pressure, and just stay in the game, get it to penalties, do whatever they can to advance. In this game, I think Russia and Croatia are looking at each other and saying, "We we're both we gonna, attack you. we're both gonna go at the at each other." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So that that presents another dynamic in this game that I think both teams didn't necessarily have in the last one. So they're gonna have to, again, make sure they come up with those moments of quality. Make sure that they're ready to be clinical whenever they need to be. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So the second game today at two p.m. Brazil, Belgium. That looks like the match almost of the of the tournament left. It sucks it has to be a quarterfinal because that could easily be a final or a semifinal. So Brazil Brazil in that last game and really the entire tournament, I've I've just felt like they're in such cruise control. Yeah. Really. Like they've only conceded one goal so far in the tournament, which is so impressive. To a tr- to a tricky Switzerland team and it was off a corner kick. They haven't allowed a open play goal so far. And it's surprising almost to say that about a Brazilian side who we usually just think about Joga Bonito and the attacking flair, and they've had it, but they've also That's why added. They've been so good. Chicha put a big emphasis on solidifying that defense, and so solid that they dealt with an injury to Dani Alves, having missed a beat. Fagner didn't look that good against uh, Mexico, but that defense very solid. That midfield, they could easily play a more attacking midfield. No, three guys to kind of anchor it down. Casemiro, who misses this uh, match uh, through yellow card suspension. Fernandinho comes in for him, but then other than that, Coutinho gives you that that flair, but Paulinho and Casemiro have been really good so far this tournament. Anchoring that midfield, giving Neymar, Coutinho just the license to go forward. Willian was very impressive in that second half. In the second half, he had a poor first half, but really turned it on that second half. And that was good to see because I've always been a fan of Douglas Costa, and I thought Douglas Costa would be better in that position than William. But William's had a decent World Cup, and especially that second half against Mexico. He, I, I thought he was the reason why Brazil were finally able to get it going. We saw Roberto Firmino come on, bag a goal. They just have so many options, both in attack and defense, and it's good to see. Like you said, Casemiro misses out, Fernandinho slides right in. He's been so good coming on late in games, making sure that they can see out a lead. Mm-hmm. Those type of things, they just look like a complete team, like a side that knows what they have to do. I know Neymar has been criticized for rolling around almost 14 minutes and, on the and, floor. And that stuff doesn't even affect the game. Like, they don't care. If you want to criticize him, fine. But Neymar is still, he's still that dude. You know what I'm saying? Like Neymar is still going to run at you, play with flair, partner up with Coutinho and Gabriel Jesus. That first goal against Mexico was Fantastic. beautiful. The way he cut inside to almost the middle of the box, a back heel. To Willian, he loses himself and just drifts into the middle of that goal. He's the one that comes up on the end of it. Yeah. Such a beautiful thing to see. Brilliant, brilliant goal from him. And it was tough on Mexico, but 
with Mexico, I felt the entire tournament that it was like having a, a nice loaded gun and it shoots out a blank. Just because they're finishing the entire tournament. And left, that game... Left to be desired. Even in the Germany game, they could have won the Germany three game 3-0, 4-0. So many 2-on-2, 3-on-1 counterattacks, and nothing ever came of them except for that one which is why they were able to win. But you're right, Mexico. They had the talent to progress more. They messed up by not beating Sweden when they when they easily could have, they or at least on paper. They would have ended up in the night in the easier bracket. Yeah, they would have ended up playing against Switzerland. Mexico versus Switzerland is a more enticing option for Mexican fans than Mexico Brazil. A lot supposedly easier. No game has really been easy this World Cup for anyone. The other team in today's Belgium and Brazil matchup defeated. I feel another team that felt unlucky in Japan and. The Japanese, really, they always just surprise us with their technical quality. Yeah. Heartbreaking loss for Japan, but man, the goal from Belgium, the third one after falling down 2-0, to, to have the, the, resolve. The, the resolve to come back against Japan, and then that last goal, brilliant. brilliant. Every single part of it. We'll start with the corner Courtois. kick. Courtois catches it. The recognition to know, all right, let's counter. Last kick of the game, we're, like, they're not going to... If we counter, Japan won't be able to come back anyways. So... Has the, the mental wherewithal to know, all right, let's spring it. Ball eventually finds its way to De Bruyne. De Bruyne carries the ball uh, upfield, lays it off on the right, and then Lukaku's dummy. To have the awareness in that situation to say, I can take a stab at it. It might be on target, but I know Chadley's behind me. I'm going to come in and just dummy it, raise my leg, and it leaves him, Brilliant. leaves him by himself. For a striker who always wants to score a goal, to be able to think and do that in that situation, fantastic from Not Lukaku. only the dummy, but the way he almost took the def the Japanese defender out of the play. He dummied and also and also shielded him away from the ball, well, giving Chadley. He also made the inside run to allow uh, I forget who is out on the right that um, sent the pass in, but Lukaku to make the inside run in that situation to open up, up space, space and then come towards the ball, knowing that Chadley's sliding in behind him, just fantastic. It might be the best team goal of the tournament considering the circumstances. I even thought that that Belgium-Japan game was the match of the tournament point blank. I know for some people, maybe the defending wasn't all that well. To me, the game of the tournament is still Spain-Portugal. That was a fantastic game from both sides. But in that Belgium-Japan game, really the two goals from Japan that they scored, the first one on a mistake from Jan Vertonghen, that he wasn't able to stretch enough to get to a loose ball. Yeah, but then that second goal from, I think it was Inui. Inui. We, we saw him score another really good goal. I think it was against Senegal. We kind of just curls it far post. This one way more impressive, though, from outside the box. A fantastic strike. And that was just a sense in which Belgium had just conceded one. They laid off just one second. One second gave Inui again, too much space. He absolutely lasered a, it. A rocket. If I saw in the replays, ball didn't even spin. It was just a Knuckle. dead knuckleball. Bam. Right kind of like Ronaldo's old free kicks, except this one from the run of play. Fantastic goal. A lot of people were criticizing Belgium, saying that uh, Roberto Martinez has to make a lot of changes if they want to beat Brazil. But I thought that match gave them a nice test mm -hmm. ahead of that Brazil match. How do they want? How do they want this match? Two nil, three nil. We would have been saying they haven't, they they haven't had any competition. Panama, Tunisia, and now a Japan team that you can say maybe was lucky to advance in the first place. But by them facing that adversity, I think it gives them a lot of confidence going into the Brazil they game. The fact that they went down 2-0, maybe not a, a similar scoreline, but don't be surprised if Brazil can get off to a, one, a, fast, a, start. a fast start in, the, in that match. So it was good to see them have options on the bench. Again, Charlie Fellaini came on. Those guys were unbelievable right from, right from the go. Exactly. And has, Hazard's been good this whole tournament. De Bruyne, again, De, De Bruyne's De Bruyne. Pulls the strings. He pulls the strings. Pulls the strings. His passing is basically unmatched and no no one there might be a few players who can pass 
as well as De Bruyne. No one passes better than De Bruyne. De Bruyne's fantastic midfielder. Not only that, the the work he gives you off the ball, he can shoot if you give him too much space. He can shoot yeah. with his left foot if he wants to. He can really do anything. And the way he just moves people around, I see him sometimes on the ball kind of directing people, yeah. telling them where to go, what runs to make. That that just shows you a just guy. Just an all-around midfielder. All-around player who's just at the top of his level right now. And to see him in that next match against Brazil, against a guy like Fernandinho, against Paulinho, who is going to try to ruffle his feathers in that midfield. I, I think that 3-4-3 for Belgium is actually... People like to give Roberto Martinez a hard time, but I think that 3-4-3 has really helped out Belgium because th the one part of the field, or the one position that they didn't really have a lot of depth in was um, left right, back. Back and, right back and left back. So what do you do? Fine. Our strength is center backs. We'll play with three center backs. And they have three of the put, best ones. Play with wing backs that can... Really gives him really good width going forward because you have the three forwards who can cut out wide anyways, but then you still have players who are even wider than that as the wingbacks. Carrasco didn't really play that well, but still, it, just the, the spacing allows Mertens and Hazard and De Bruyne to kind of move in and out of positions. It gives Belgium a really good fluidity. In that game, again, as I've said on, on the last few episodes, Brazil has been my tournament favorite. They've been my call to win it ever since the entire time. There's no way I jump ship on them now, even, even against a tough Belgium team who I would love to see progress in this tournament. I still think Brazil, maybe with, again, that added steal that they've, that they've gained in the defense, in the midfield. I, I just think Brazil's a team on a mission to avenge what happened four years ago. And I just, barring, like, the one team remaining in this tournament that I think can beat Brazil is France on their good day. That might be the semifinal, and if that's the semifinal... We'll have, another, wow. we'll have another question to answer next week. Yeah. That'll be a tougher one. The last game played in the quarterfinals will be England and Sweden. A lot of people looking at this game as kind of a, a, th a throw-in, a, a fluke game. Not at all. They, I, I could see where they could say fluky, though, because Sweden was, in they, my opinion, lucky to beat Switzerland. They were lucky to beat Switzerland, lucky goal. And then England, granted, I've said this before, I'm Colombian, so... That's just putting that out there. feel like England, if they had won in the 90 minutes, I felt like that would have been deserved. Now, do I think that the penalty was a penalty? No, I think Harry Kane was kind of hugging Carlos Sanchez. But I thought England were better in 90, in 90 minutes. And extra time, once Colombia scored, all the momentum was on Colombia's side. Uh, England just kind of like, they didn't have it going. Uh, they struggled with Colombia's pace with Muriel and Cuadrado. They struggled with that in the extra time. I just don't think they were very good in extra time. And even then, Colombia didn't have James Rodriguez. So we were talking about Belgium not being tested. I think England's the one who hasn't really been tested, tested in quotation marks, I say, because they finally broke the curse of the penalties. So I think that was a big test for them. But that's not one of play tests. That's more of a, a mental, mental test. So we'll have to see how they do having to be on the front foot again against Sweden who's been very good defensively. You might see another game in which England is going to have to break a team down. I think it'll be another game where you one team is obviously absorbing pressure, looking to counter, and you have another team kind of looking to see how they can break them down. I think Harry Kane might have trouble because Sweden center backs, they're big and strong, so I don't know how cross into the box would be. I think he'll have to have more of a role of where he's uh, drifting back from that center forward position, helping the team build. A possession and build play and then making those darting runs into the box or quick one-twos or quick uh, passes in. Like you said, a lot of the England fans were happy with their players with the way they overcame some adversity by finally lifting the voodoo of the penalty kicks. But they let's face it, they have to be a lot better than they were against Colombia. And 
Yeah, because their only goal in 90 minutes, a penalty. You, you got to do better than that in this stage of the of the tournament. Now, granted, they are in the weaker bracket, but if England wants to capture their second ever World Cup title, they got to start picking it up eventually. And like you said, James wasn't in that game. I'm not Colombian, so I feel like I can say this. If James Rodriguez plays that game, I think Colombia are the team taking on Sweden right now. I completely agree because the one game that Colombia had James and Quintero playing for all 90 minutes was one of the more complete performances of this World Cup from any team. The 3-0 against Poland, it was basically already a knockout stage game. And they were just so fun to watch. Some teams don't even have like one guy, like a number 10, who can like pull strings. Colombia was playing with two magicians with their left foot, Quintero and James. And that freed up Quad- Cuadrado and Farcao. Just that four attacking was fantastic going forward. No, James meant that it was just Quintero, Farcao, and Cuadrado. And granted, I didn't agree with Peckerman's lineup change. I thought three defensive midfielders was being very generous to England. And I thought their their attackers would be very isolated up top and they wouldn't have much options. And it was exactly right. The, Colombia didn't offer a lot going forward in the 90 minutes. That changed once they brought on two more strikers in Baca and Muriel. And you saw how things changed in Colombia could affect teams with their pace. Tough, huh? Very, very <laughs> tough for a, a Colombia fan. I, I, once the game ended, I just like sat stone-faced st- still for about eight minutes, just like blankly looking at the TV. I wasn't even processing anything they were saying. I was just like, I can't move. I'm like <laughs> so stunned and everything. It was but, it was a split game for me too because I have to support my 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 Colombian colleagues mm-hmm. and I and I love my three lines as well. But I want to see more from guys like Raheem Sterling, Dele Ali, Jesse Lingard on the ball. I yeah. thought those guys were really sloppy, making poor decisions. And once they got into the final third, they, they had some a few good moments. But again, it never resulted in an open play goal. Even on corner kicks, you have guys like Kerry Kane and stuff like that. Like. Now, granted, Colombia has two very good big center backs in Jerry Mina and Davinson Sanchez, and I thought Davinson Sanchez was fantastic that game. And Jerry Mina, obviously, three goals in this World Cup. I think he's made a name, uh, not only a name for himself internationally, but because he was already at Barcelona. But I think he's kind of put Barcelona on notice to that. Hey, because there have been rumors about Barcelona selling Jerry Mina. That performance, who knows? Again, in that game, I think England can progress. I think they can get to face... Croatia and that England Croatia game would be very very interesting because it's two sort of dark horses that have are one game away from the final. Yeah, one game away from the final. Who who would have thought at the beginning of this tournament that we could be saying England Croatia would be maybe would be playing for a spot in the final. If anyone had that coming into this tournament, they should go to Vegas because they should appear right now. Add yeah. us, add us on Twitter. Add us on Twitter while you're in Vegas at the <laughs> casinos because you you like know something that no one else does. But man, I d- I still believe that the winner of this World Cup though is going to come from that left side of the bracket, the Belgium, Brazil, Uruguay, France. In my opinion, all of those teams are better than the teams on the other side of the bracket. Just the amount of talent on those teams and the way they've played this tournament. If we get an England-Croatia semifinal, I feel like that would produce a, a worthy finalist because those are two teams that are probably going to look to attack at each other because they're not at their most comfortable just sitting back and absorbing pressure, which is different because we've seen in past Euros, England sort of try that, all right, we're going to absorb and counterattack. I lo- this England's a lot more proactive. So we've got England-Croatia, one semifinal, France-Brazil. We agreed on this one this week. Mm-hmm. We'll see if all of our predictions are right this week. Yeah, we've had to co- probably not because this World Cup's been a World Cup of surprises. We've had to come on here and say that we were wrong the week before. Yeah, so, so if we're saying France, Brazil, and England, Croatia, 
for all we know, it could be Uruguay, Belgium, and Russia versus Sweden in the semifinals. And if that happens, that's still a crazy semifinals. Last little note, some of the players to watch, in your opinion? So I'll go game by game uh, and team by team. For Uruguay, player to watch, I'll say Lucas Torreira. For France, Mbappe, in my opinion, the guy that's going to win player of the tournament. For Brazil, everyone, Neymar's the big guy, Coutinho. Coutinho's been kind of a linchpin, in my opinion, for, for Brazil. For Belgium, I'll say it's Kevin De Bruyne pulling the strings in midfield. For Russia, I'll go Golovin. He's been their best player so far this tournament. I think he needs to continue it against Croatia. For Croatia, I'll go I'll go with the dark horse. I'll go with Rebic. I think I, I just feel like he's gonna have game where he cuts in from that right side, whip, whips whips one in. For England, hmm. I want to see a lot more from Raheem Sterling. You want to see more from? Raheem I think, Sterling? like you said, it's gonna be a tough game for Harry Kane. He's gonna have to come back into kind of like that target man type. It'll open up space for Sterling to go in behind. For England, I think I'm going to go with John Stones. He's going to be important on set pieces, defending those big Swedes. And with his passing abilities, if if Sweden get caught up in attack, if he can pass the ball out from the back and launch counterattacks for England, that would be huge. So I'll go with John Stones for England. And uh, for Sweden, Andreas Gronquist. He's been the go-to guy in penalties. Maybe this thing goes to penalties. Maybe Sweden are able to win a penalty throughout the course of the game. And then with his regular center back in duties, He's going to need to be have the best game of this tournament defending Harry Kane, who's been in form. Well, guys, this was the fourth episode of Spill the Cup. We'll be back with you next week to discuss the results of the quarterfinals, what we think will happen in those semifinals once we get there. If, if I'm right, I'll brag about it. If I'm wrong, I didn't say it. <laughs> Everyone have a great weekend. We want to thank you guys for listening. Join us on Twitter at the Edgar Chavero. At John Acosta underscore J-O-N-A-C-O-S-T-A underscore 10. And yeah, make fun of me if I get my predictions wrong. Everyone makes wrong predictions. But this World Cup's been a hard one to predict anyways. So just just enjoy the games this weekend. World Cup quarterfinals, in my opinion, it's my favorite round because you still have a lot of teams left. And almost all of the games are exciting. France, Uruguay, 10 a.m. today. Belgium, Brazil, 2 p.m. Enjoy. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you again next week. (laughs) 